here in person. It's so good to be with you. We want to make sure those of you who are online know. Uh, in order to have kind of what we believe to be the best online experience, you need to do that by going to our online platform, which you can find at onelifeseattle.org forward slash live. We put a lot of time into kind of making that uh, the best place to be for connecting. It's got live chat line. It's got our Bible app and our live prayer app. It's got important links and resources, um, our note section. And it's really designed to create uh, a greatest sense of community being online. So However you choose to do that, though, we're on Facebook and YouTube and you name it. We're just very appreciative that you could be joining us online. And again, to those of you present, um, being able to be in present place to worship, to see your faces, to hear your voices, it's a joy. And we just want you to know how much we appreciate you being here with us. Today we are closing out a sermon series we've been in called A Living Hope, looking at a letter by uh, Peter called First Peter, and today we're going to be looking at the last chapter. Um, and before we begin, though, I'd like to open us up with a time of prayer. So let's do that. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your faithful presence. Your faithful presence with us no matter what is going on. You're here with us. Um, you are with those who are online as close as our very breath. And we recognize it in our day-to-day, in our world around us, there's all kinds of craziness going on. And we thank you that we're not alone. And as we look at this letter, as we see how Peter closes this letter out, we pray that you'd communicate to us, that we'd hear from you, um, we'd sense you encouraging and challenging us, that we would leave... Um, having grown in our relationship with you. We pray this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So if you haven't been with us, quick review. We're looking at this letter, 1 Peter, and we started off the series again. This is a quick through series, six weeks. Definitely can't cover everything. Um, kind of trying to give us a taste of the book, hopefully a good taste that makes you want to come back. And we started looking at Peter the person because what we see is that in many ways, Peter is a symbol of all of us as followers of Christ. That when we understand Peter's story, we actually start to have a better understanding of our own story, how God sees us and loves us and how God uses us and how God walks with us in whatever um, life brings us. And if we're being honest, in our day-to-day, we're really going through a lot of stuff. It feels like every day there's something else going on. And so we learn that Peter was this very close friend of Jesus, a disciple, and one who experienced these incredible, miraculous, God-powered experiences, as well as these absolute failures to the point of being referred to by Jesus as Satan and having literally denied knowing Christ three times. We learn that in all of Peter's crazy story, God never stopped loving him and that God even established Peter as one of the main leaders of the early church. We learn that this letter wasn't like a lot of the letters in the, in the New Testament where sent to a specific church, like the church of Philippi, but that this was sent to a scattering of Gentile and Jewish believers in these various areas throughout what we now know as modern-day Turkey. And that Peter was writing to these early believers who were going through increased persecution and suffering due to their faith in Jesus. Now, 
I am not going to be able to cover a summary of everything we've learned up to this point. And so I'm just going to encourage you, if you've missed any of them, go back and check them out. It's been a great series for us. Today, though, we're going to close out and see how Peter ends this letter and what Peter has to say uh, to us today as we understand what Peter was saying to these people he was writing to back then. And I'm just going to tell you, it has to do again with this theme of suffering and trials. You see, one of the most crucial lessons to learn as Christians is how to handle suffering. Peter reminds us throughout this letter over and over again that in this fallen world, suffering is a certainty. And we've experienced this in many ways, and we're currently experiencing this truth right now. It may be the physical suffering that goes on with living in these frail bodies and I don't know how it is for you, is I feel like every year I get a little older and I'm like, oh, that's not working quite the same. Um, It may be the grief of watching a loved one suffer and pass away. It may be the problem stemming from our own sin or others' sins against us. It may be the common pressures of life, having to provide a a living and wondering if you're going to be able to pay the bills. It may be the emotional suffering of struggling with feelings of inadequacy and and loneliness and anger and worry and, and fear, which feels heightened every day. Wherever it comes from, Peter says, suffering is inevitable. This is something Jesus taught him as a disciple, and now Peter is teaching this to these early Christians and as a result to us as well. If we remember that in Jesus' parable of the sower, two of the three soils that failed to produce a crop represented people who did not know how to handle suffering. The rocky soil, Jesus explains, pictures those who receive the word joyfully at first, but do not sink down roots so that when affliction or persecution comes, they fall away. And then the thorny ground reflects those who seem to grow for a while, but then allow, among other things, the worries of the world to choke out the word so it doesn't bear fruit. And if we're being honest, we feel both of these situations ourselves in our day to life. Sometimes the world seems to be choking us out. Sometimes it feels like our rootedness and our faith is gone. And so in a sense, Peter is saying, if you don't learn how to handle affliction and worries and other kinds of suffering, you're not going to persevere as a follower of Christ. And we might know some people in the midst of these difficulties who have given up on their faith. On the flip side, though, he's saying, if you learn how to handle these things, you can grow in the midst of these things. And so as we begin, I want to just invite us maybe to close our eyes, take a few deep breaths, And as you do, I want you to think about areas in your current life right now where you're feeling suffering, struggle, persecution, challenge, and doubt. So maybe just close your eyes, take a couple deep breaths, and just, I know it's hard, I don't want to think about these things, but take a moment to think about them. Take a deep breath and recognize, own what you're going through right now. And as you do, I want you to be thinking, how are you dealing with all of this? What happens when something else comes up in the news? How are these things affecting you in your relationships, both your relationship with yourself, with others, and with God? And as you think about them, are you experiencing the living hope of Christ with you in the midst of all that's going on?
So hold on to those thoughts as we move on. And again, as we've been doing throughout the series, we can't go through every verse. We can't go through all the details of chapter 5 today. But it starts with Peter briefly addressing the elders and the leaders of the church and then goes on to address the younger congregants as well. And in short, Peter says to the elders, be humble. Don't take your position of authority and lord it over people. Instead, be examples of, of humble service. It's the short version. And then in the same way, he talks to these young congregants. He says, don't get prideful and try to work all these things out and be above the elders, but work with humility and service as well. That's the super short version of the first five verses of chapter five. But from there, Peter moves to closing out the letter, giving us some strategies for growing through suffering that I think we need to receive and apply today. At least I know (laughs) I do, because this has been a week uh, full of stuff. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to chapter five of 1 Peter, starting with verse six. If you don't, you can use the Bible app online, those of you who are online, or you can simply follow along as the scripture will be up on the screen as well. So let's look at this. Chapter 5, 1 Peter, starting with verse 6. It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever amen with the help of silas whom i regard as a faithful brother i have written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of god stand fast in it she who is in babylon chosen together with you sends her greetings and so does my son mark greet one another with a kiss of love peace to all of you who are in Christ. That's how the letter ends. And so for the remainder of our time, I want to look at what Peter gives us to help us grow in our faith in the midst of suffering. And it's my hope that these encourage us, challenge us as we live out our faith in our day-to-day life in the midst of all the things that are going on. So the first thing Peter says here is that to grow in these suffering times, we have to humble ourselves before God. Verse 6 and 7 says it very clear. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The Greek word translated anxieties comes from a word meaning to divide. Anxieties divide our minds so that we can't concentrate on anything else. And it's the same with the word worry. I heard someone once define worry as a small drop of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. In other words, worries and anxieties, they distract us from the things God wants us to do, and they consume us by diverting all our thoughts into these channels of fear. Anyone ever feel like that? It feels like so much around our world is driven by fear. In the class I teach, we're learning about how our bodies react to things. And, and when emotions go up, it has a physical impact on our 
body and actually affects our spine. And you can actually see scientifically what your body does in the midst of feeling anxious and fearful. It's fascinating. And so these, that's what happens. But the question is, then why do we need to humble ourselves during this time of trial when we're feeling these things? And it's because at the heart of anxiety is the proud notion that I can handle things by myself, that we don't need God. And this is what humanity has been doing from the beginning of time. We all have a sinful tendency to lift ourselves up thinking we can do it, and as a result, disregarding God in our lives. And as followers of Christ, we've trusted Christ as Savior. We talk about trusting God for everything. But when it comes down to it, we most often trust in ourselves and our ability to try to get things done and figure it out. Every once in a while, sure, we could use a boost now and then, so we ask God to help us. But in general, we try to do it all on our own. It's not until something big pulls the carpet out from under us and now we got COVID where we know we can't do it our own. And we have to ask God for help. We have to say, I need you. And even then, we're constantly scrambling to regain control without submitting to God's mighty hand. And at the root of this self-reliance is pride. And so, for example, if you imagine a ship in the midst of a giant storm, and you're on this boat, and you don't know anything about navigating a ship, let alone through rough waters, but the captain is an incredibly seasoned veteran who's brought this ship to safety time and time again in the midst of crazy storms just like that. Wouldn't it be just the height of arrogance if you were to go up to the bridge and just tell him how to run the ship, right? Or even worse, to say, ah, yeah, move out of the way. I'm going to take control of this, right? If you were anxious in the storm, your fears would subside if you stopped to think about the captain's skills and experiences, if you had a chance to talk to him and he assured you that he had been through many similar storms, you could relax a bit. You could trust that he'll get you through this. Sure, it's still going to be a crazy ride. But you can go through it without heightened anxiety because you've humbled yourself by not trying to take control and you've exalted the captain trusting his abilities. It's the same idea. And you see, as humans, we are prone to doubt two things in times of trials and suffering. One, God's sovereign control over the circumstances, right? Where's God in all of this? Or we doubt God's concern for us, right? If God was in control and if God cared, then why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to us? And Peter says that we need to bow and acknowledge God's mighty hand, God's sovereignty and power, that God wasn't asleep at the helm when this trial hit, in spite of how it might seem, right? And I'm sure there's no doubt that Peter's recalling Jesus' teaching that he heard, that if God cares for the birds and the lilies of the field, then obviously cares for each of us, Matthew 6. But with all that, the question is, which do you struggle with more in the midst of your struggle? God being in control? Or God's care for you in the midst of that? It could be both. Especially when we've gone for so long dealing with things where it feels like day to day. 
You see, once we've acknowledged these two things, that God's in control and that God cares for us, we can then cast all our anxieties on God through prayer. That's the idea. Paul says it this way, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We hand them over to Jesus one by one as they occur, which feels like all the time. I often find that I do this repeatedly sometimes throughout the day, confessing my lack of faith and praying literally at times, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. How long will this go? This is what it means to humble ourselves. That's the first thing. Peter then goes on, verses 8 and 9, and says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So the second thing Peter says is that to grow through suffering, we must resist the devil. Now, no sooner that Peter kind of says, hey, relax, cast your anxieties on the Lord, then he yells, wake up, be alert, there's a lion, right? It's, it's this roller coaster. But the fact is, in a time of trial and suffering, we are especially vulnerable to the enemy of our souls. So we have to be sober and alert so that we can resist the attacks. But if we're being honest, when it comes to uh, dealing with the devil, Christians often have one of two extremes. We either think the devil's involved in literally everything. You stubbed your toe and you're like, devil made me do it. Or you don't even think Satan is involved in anything. It's one of two extremes. Now, Peter describes this Satan as an enemy or the adversary, depending on your translations. And that word adversary means an opponent, particularly in a lawsuit. And devil means slanderer, one who throws things against you. And he's described in Revelation 12 as, as the accuser. So when we're exhausted and our emotions are high and we're dealing with sufferings, his strategy is often to hit you when you're under these intense experiences, suggesting either that God isn't strong enough to deliver you, or obviously God doesn't care about you because if he did, you wouldn't treat his people this way. Or if you've fallen into some kind of sin, he'll accuse your conscience, even after you've confessed your sin, saying something like, some Christian you are. What makes you think you can be forgiven? Right? Anyone ever feel <laughs> some of this? We like to say that's our mind playing with us. We don't like to acknowledge the spiritual battles that are going on. And many people, especially God's people, are vulnerable to Satan's attacks because they're not alert to the spiritual realities that are happening around them, which reminds me of an experience I had the other day. It's kind of odd. I live right down the street. You don't think about this neighborhood being this way. Um, but we actually have a decent amount of coyotes in the neighborhood. And I know this because my next door app is constantly some, someone saying, my cat's missing, wonder why. And it's like, oh, I saw a coyote the other day. Um, it's one of those things, but I rarely ever think about it. But two days ago, I'm driving my daughter to Roosevelt. It's probably like 7.30 in the morning. And we're right in the middle of the road. There's this huge, I mean, the biggest coyote I've ever seen, just right there in the middle of the road, like no big deal. I was nuts. I had to, obviously, I, I mean, I, I was in my car, I'm safe, and I'm pulling up to this thing, and it doesn't even want to move. It's like, what are you going to do? 
There's this giant coyote. One night not too long ago, I'm walking my dog, which is like this big, at 11 o'clock at night. And thankfully, this guy on his bike goes by and he says, hey, FYI, there's a small pack of coyotes one block over. Of course, I was like, I'm going to go a different route home, right? <laughs> I don't need to see coyotes. My dog doesn't need to be dinner for a coyote. Um, but the thing is, with coyotes, much like the devil, I can go day to day never thinking a thought about them. But then sometimes I'm aware of them, and then you, you got to know I'm going to make adjustments, right? Peter is simply telling us that we need to be alert. We need to be prepared and aware that there are spiritual battles around us, especially when we're going through hard times. And so I ask, are you aware that there are spiritual battles going on in the midst of your current situation? Do you, do you make space to recognize that it's not just the realities that you see on the news and all these things, but there's other things, spiritual things going on as well that are impacting you and the people around you? Are you alert to them? So Peter's saying that we grow through suffering. In order to do that, we need to humble ourselves before God and be alert so that we can resist the spiritual battles that are going on around us. Then Peter goes on, verse 10 through 11, he says this, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the third thing Peter says is that to grow through suffering, we got to trust the Lord. Now, I just read that text and that word trust is not there. Trust is implicit in 1 Peter verses, uh, chapter 5, 6 through 7. It's explicit in verse 9 saying to be firm in your faith, trusting in the faith. And it's strongly implicit in verses 10 through 11 where Peter says, God hasn't forgotten you in your trial. That God is the God of all grace who called you to eternal glory in Christ in the first place so you can trust God to use the trial for his purpose in your life. Because God is the sovereign Lord who has all dominion forever and ever. But, but let's be honest, the idea of trusting God in our culture has fallen to hard times when it comes to Christianity. If you, if you view it now, it tends to be accepted as this very impractical kind of thing. For example, you're going through something difficult. You say, I want to get together with Pastor Rich. I want to tell him what's going on. And I say, you know what you should do? You need to trust God. You'd be like, wow, thanks, thanks a whole lot for nothing. Like, I, I didn't need that, right? Um, and yet, from cover to cover, the Bible commends the practical benefits of putting our trust in the living God as the way that we deal with our problems. But when we say, oh, you, do, you need to trust God, it sounds like this kind of hokey statement. So the question then is, how can I trust God, especially when I'm in the midst of crisis, suffering, you name it? And so Peter, in these short two verses, he, he gives us a number of things. The first thing he says is you start by putting the trial or the suffering you're going through in perspective. The, the phrase he says is the text will only last a little while which some of us are like, it's been almost two years, COVID. What's that about? 
That doesn't seem like a little while. Some of us have been having ailments and physical struggles for years and years and years. It doesn't feel like a little while. But in perspective to eternity, it is. We have to have perspective. Paul had the same idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So Peter says, you want to learn to trust in the midst of this, you've got to have perspective on the trial. He then goes on and says, you've got to have put God into perspective, right? This is the God of all grace, not the God of a little bit of grace or a lot of grace, the God of all grace. It's like his grace is like this giant, vast, limitless ocean that keeps breaking over our lives. Time and time again, it never runs out. So in our time of trial and suffering comes and we're feeling needy, we need to ask and God will give it abundant grace to meet our need. And as well as we put God in perspective, we remember that God is the God of dominion and strength forever and ever Amen, the scripture says. He's mighty to save his people from every trial according to his will. Even more, he's mighty to save us from eternal destruction. And the scriptures say nothing can separate us from his love and care. So in your trial, one of the ways that you can find yourself strengthened in, tr- in, in trust is to rehearse in our mind God's mighty strength as seen over and over in our stories in other people's stories, and in the story of the scriptures. That perspective helps. Peter then says, put God's calling and purpose for you in perspective. Right? God's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. That's what he's called you to. He didn't come to you and you didn't kind of come to him and say, this is all my strength and effort. No, God calls us through the Holy Spirit. It wasn't our doing. The Spirit didn't call us to condemn us, but to bring us to this eternal glory in Christ so that we can dwell in the presence of God for eternity. So in your trial, we look ahead to what God has promised for those God has called. And you can trust God to bring you through it. And remember that God has a good work that is to come out of this. I don't know about you, but I sometimes just have to say that because I don't feel it. God has a good work that he's going to do in the midst of this. When this is all said and done, something good has come out of that. And finally, Peter says, we need to put God's purpose for trials in perspective. He himself will, the scriptures say, perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you through the trials. The scripture describes it as the trials are to burn away the waste and refine the gold. That's the image. The perfect word means to equip, repair, and to render complete. It was used of Peter mending his fishing nets back in Matthew 4, 21. God will put you back together after the trial so that you can continue to be used. That's what God does. And then God, used, the word is confirm, which means to fix, to set fast, or to strengthen. Jesus told Peter that after he was restored from his denial of Jesus, that he would strengthen Peter. That's the same word, and strengthen his brothers. 
Now, the third word is the same word, strengthen, which occurs only one time in the Bible. It's rarely seen in extra-biblical Greek, so we really don't know how it differs from the other word that says strengthen. All that to say, we like to be strengthened. That's what we're hoping for in the midst of these things. So let's just take double strengthening. And then the last word it says is to establish, which means to lay the foundation. And Jesus used the same word to describe the house that was founded on the rock that withheld and withstood the storm in Matthew 7. So that's what what God does for us in the midst of these things. He perfects and confirms and strengthens and establishes us. That's his goal. That's his purpose. That's what he wants to do with these trials. So as we grow through these things, through these sufferings, we need to practice being humble, resisting spiritual battles, trusting the Lord. And then finally, Peter says, to grow through suffering we must stand firm with other saints in God's true grace. And now this section here, I'm going to read it, verses 12 through 14 goes like this. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So this last section is the concluding kind of greeting of the letter, and you can kind of feel it, but it contains a powerful truth that's stated here that's also stated back in verse 9, and that is you don't go through suffering alone. You go through suffering in community with the body of Christ, this family of believers. And so, and that's important to understand because remember this letter was sent to the scattering of people. They're not all located in the same place. They're scattered. And he's saying, don't lose sight of being together. These final verses are brimming with these kind of warm relationship. Peter commends Silas which was in many ways his secretary, who probably was the one that bore the letter that we're reading right now. He was the faithful brother. He had served with Paul on the second missionary journey. He had sung hymns with Paul at midnight in the Philippian jail. As his back was laid open, his feet were locked up. Silas was no stranger to persecution, and he is here now faithfully serving with Peter. And we we see that, and we go, man, what a gift to have someone walking with you in the midst of the most difficult things. Peter also sends greetings from she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you. This most likely refers to the church in Rome going through the fires of Nero's persecution that we talked about earlier in the series. Peter probably used Babylon as a code name to protect the believers there, as well as for the symbolism of Babylon as this place of exile and wickedness the epitome of that which was opposed of God. But there, in that place, that's the center of evil, but God plants his church. And it was linked in relationship with these other churches that Peter's writing to in Asia because they're all part of the same gospel. He's saying, I know you're all scattered in these different places and you're all going through persecution, but remember you're in this together. Don't leave each other alone. Be together. And then there's Mark whom Peter refers to as his son, which is definitely not his physical son, 
It's very unlikely that Peter was his spiritual father in the faith. Rather, this is a younger man who had become like a son to Peter as they served together in Christ. So, so Peter's referring to these various relational dynamics and saying, don't go at this alone. And I need to say, this pandemic has challenged us relationally, right? I mean, even today, I'm so thankful for all of you who are present here. I'm so thankful for all of you who are online. It's not the same as what it was like. We're restricted in what we can do in relationship. And it, as a church, we're always trying to, as your staff, as your elders, we're trying to fight for ways to break isolation to allow relationship to happen. And it's hard to do. Even when we sit, we have to space out. We have to wear masks. All these different things that feel like blockages that make us hesitant. And I just want you to hear, even all the way back, again, Peter says, suffering is inevitable. But don't do this alone. The church here, the church, you guys online, all of us, we are part of something, and when we are together in it, we can get through those things. And that's what Peter is closing this out, saying that. The truth of suffering is never easy. But the question is, how are you allowing the people of One Life, this place, to walk with you in the midst of whatever you're going through? We sent out an email this week about someone in our church that's struggling, potentially losing housing. This person was at the point of wearing layers and layers and layers of clothes and was going to be outside because it was so cold. And our church rallied, and, 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 and people said, I, I don't have a space, but I have money, I have all these things. And they came together, and this person has been cared for. Many of you don't even know who that person is. It's a, it's a person, it's a member of the body, a, a, a follower of Jesus, and came alongside to care. That's incredible. How are you allowing others at One Life to walk with you in the midst of what you're going through? How are we sharing life together? We fight for that in the midst of a time where it feels very restrictive. And Peter knows suffering full well. He is writing this story in this letter out of experience, which is why he wrote it to encourage these young believers to hold fast to their faith in the midst of the suffering, in their scatteredness to be united, to experience and live out the living hope that can only come from Christ and to share it with others. And so Peter basically closes it out saying, be humble, ask for help. Don't try to carry this all on your own. You can't do it. Rather, cast your anxieties on God. He says, be aware of the real spiritual battles going on and resist the evil one. Know and trust that God is faithfully present with you and knows what to do. He says, don't go at it alone because there is power in community. I don't know about you. I need to be reminded of this. This is truth that is something that we hear and we go, yep, um, but we, need to, we allow it to permeate our lives. And I hope this encourages you. May we all know the living hope of Jesus today and every day. In the amazing ups and the deep downs and everywhere in between, may we continue to grow in our hope. And as Peter prayed in the last sentence of his, this letter, may we all experience and share the peace, the shalom of Christ in the midst of it all. Amen?
I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. And as they do, they're going to play instrumentally for a few moments to let us reflect and think about what we just listened to and heard and how it applies to our lives. And I have a couple questions for you to consider. Um, if you would use the connection card either here for those of you on your seat, those of you online, there's a link for you to use. Um, it's a great way to hear how you're connecting with the teachings and, and your story and, and how we could be praying for you. And so if you don't mind... Um, taking a moment to answer one or all or however you feel, that would be awesome sharing that with us. The questions go like this. Number one, which of the four practices stuck out to you most as something to try and why? And those, again, were humbling yourself before God, resisting the devil, putting your trust in God, or not going at things alone, but living it out in community with others. So maybe pick one that stuck out to you and you want to try to practice. Number two, of the four perspectives to help us trust God, which stuck out to you most? Putting the trial in perspective, putting God in perspective, putting God's calling and purpose in perspective, or putting God's purpose for those trials in perspective? And then third, um, what are some things that stuck out to you from this series? It doesn't even have to be from today, maybe from another series you've been holding on to, you've been practicing, you've been listening to, and just trying to process in your story. If you have something there, I'd love to hear it. If you have something completely different you'd like to share with us with regards to First Peter, that's also fair game. Feel free, though, during this space to pray, to confess, to own, to give thanks, to receive, to be filled uh, to dream, whatever you feel called to in this time. The band's going to just take a few moments to play. I want to let you know that our prayer team is back at live. They'll be right up here. For those of you who are in person, those of you who are online, all you have to do is click the request prayer button to the left of the chat line, and they can connect and pray with you live. Just be aware on either end um, that there may be someone ahead of you. So those of you who come here, if you see them praying, you just need to wait. Um, same with you online. Um, they will be here to pray with and for you in the order that that's received. So please take advantage of that. I'm going to close this with a time of prayer. Then Brian and the team will give us space to reflect, and then we'll sing one last song of response as we go. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, as we hear the phrase, suffering is inevitable. All of us tighten up. That's the last thing we want, is to struggle more. Whether it's physical, spiritual, mental, political, racial, you name it, God, there's stuff all around us. And it feels like on the daily, it's, it's amping up, or right when it starts to calm down, it kicks back in again. And so, Spirit, we just say, we need you. We can't do this alone. We want to humble ourselves before you and say, we need you. We trust you. We want to be acknowledging that, that there's things happening around us, spiritual battles that we're not even aware of all the time. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to help us with those. Help us to be alert. Help us to be prepared. God, we pray that you would help us trust. It's easy for us to say we trust, but we tend to try to do things on our own, even when we know we can't. And so, God, help us to trust you in the midst of these and to know that you have something good that you're doing in the midst of it, even if it, we can't see it, even if it's like that ship and we're in this crazy ride. 
Help us trust you to get us through. And God, we pray that you would continue, whether that's online, in person, in small groups, in our community, you name it. God, help us not to go at this alone. Help us know and fight for the importance of being community together, sharing with one another, caring for one another, walking with one another. And God, as, as Peter prayed, may we know your peace and shalom in the midst of this. And, and, and as we sing this last song, God, the phrase is that, that you would do it again, that your story over and over from the beginning to the middle to our current and to the future is that you, Father, Son, Spirit, would continue to do your work again in us. And so we pray that, and we thank you that you do. We ask your blessing on the rest of this time in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.